Let's do this. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Daily Power Parsha. Hey, hi, Ray. Hi, Faye. Good to see you guys. Welcome, welcome. Okay, all right, it's a party. We're going to study some Torah as we do every day at this time. This time-ish. Can I just say ish? Ish? <laughs> Around this time, okay. Um, all right, Torah portion this week is Vayetse. speaks about the great departure of Jacob from his homeland, from his family, from his father's house and his mother's house. Why is he leaving? So the real reason, there's two reasons. Reason number one, which kind of started the, it germinated the idea of leaving is the fact that his brother wanted to kill him. So that's a good reason to skip town. Number two, it's time to get married. And as we know, the good Jewish girls are coming from Mesopotamia or the other side, the old country. Done. Okay. So that's, that's the plan. Jacob leaves. We spoke about this yesterday. He leaves and the sun sets early. And so he goes down. I guess maybe they changed the clock or something on him. Anyway, so my kids are all, are all thrown off. It actually is working to my advantage because they're going to sleep earlier and waking up earlier. It's Givaldic. I'm telling you, come this is just a quick sidebar. We're going to get back to Jacob in a second. But coming from a few weeks of 11, 12 o'clock, the, the older kids, bedtime, because of the bravos, it's like, oh, thank God we're back to like earlier, much earlier bedtimes. Anyway, back to the story. So the sun sets early and Jacob lies down to sleep and he rests, he sleeps in Mount Moriah, Hara Maria, the place where the temple would be built. And he has a stream and he sees a ladder going up to heaven with angels going up and coming down. And God speaks to him and he realizes when he wakes up, Gevald, I slept in the holiest of holy places. What was I thinking? I didn't know. And Hashem in the dream promises him that he's going to be with him and watch him and take care of him and give him children and give him the land and all that good stuff. And so he makes a promise when he wakes up. Jacob does. He says, if I am, if God is really with me and blesses me and gives me food and clothing and all the stuff that I need and grants me success and I don't get you know, hurt by my brother and I come back to, my play, to this land, then, then he promises that the stone we put a stone under his head. The stone will be a temple, will be the cornerstone of a temple for Hashem, for temple for God. And everything that he gets, he will give a tithe. In other words, he will connect and fuse the physical, the spiritual with the physical, the physical with the spiritual, and make them as one, which is, of course, the greatest of accomplishments. Okay, so that was the story of Jacob. Then he leaves, and he leaves Israel, and he goes to Haran, place where his mother is from. And he is by the well, and the shepherds are there, and the animals, and no one's doing anything, and he's wondering what's going on. And then he says, hey, do you guys know of a guy named Laban? He says, sure, that's his daughter. Whoa, that's his daughter. He is smitten with her, uh, physically, spiritually, etc. And um, he rolls off the stone. Oh, they said that no one could roll off the stone because it's too big, it's too heavy. We have to wait for all the shepherds. He single-handedly rolls off the stone, gives them all the water, and kisses her and cries and he wants to marry her. He goes home with her to her dad, his uncle, and he says, can I marry your daughter? He says, sure, yeah, you can. Well, no, he says, you, you can work. What would you like in return for your work? He's like, I would like to marry your daughter. 
and they make a deal. That's where we ended up yesterday. So something that few things, themes that I wanted to pick up from yesterday. So number one, what's with the stone in the well? Remember there was the big heavy stone in the well? So I once saw a commentary and I've shared it before and I don't remember which commentary, but it's so beautiful. And even if it seems to kind of like stretch the imagination, I think it's really beautiful and really powerful. And that is that sometimes we can't roll the rock off the well because we believe that we can't roll the rock off the well. In other words, sometimes we have a narrative of what we can or cannot do. And others also have a narrative of what they can or cannot do, even though it may not be true, ultimately. It's like the example that I'll give, I've given it before, is how do they have in the circus an elephant held by a rope? And the answer is, one of the answers is, that when the elephant was a baby, they had the elephant tied to a rope. And as a baby, the elephant learned that they can't, they're not, the rope is stronger than them and they can't break away. So even as they get older, they're trained to believe, and stronger, they're trained to believe that the rope is their tether. They, can't, they cannot defeat the rope. That's what they believe. Why? Because it was ingrained in their psyche. It was ingrained in their, in their perspective, in their entire view of reality. They cannot match the rope, even though they're older and stronger. They weigh, how many thousands of pounds does an elephant weigh? The elephant could rip the rope into shreds. It believes that it can't just because it can't. If I'm not mistaken, there's another, there's another experiment that's done. Fleas in a cup. Is there something like this? Fleas in a jar. You put fleas in a jar and they run around and they bang against the top. And then you put them into either you open up the top or you put them into a bigger jar and they'll only jump a certain height. There's some sort of experiment fleas in a jar that also has the same idea and that is that there's a certain training or a certain uh, reality that a narrative, reality, a narrative of reality that forms that becomes so set that it's very difficult for one to break out of it, whether it's an elephant or a flea or vis-a-vis -vis us, a human being. We all have a narrative about our lives, what we can do, what we cannot do. And the question is, is that real? I mean, it's, is it real? Is that true? We can't, we can't do that or we can't do that? It's a story we tell ourselves. The story might as well be real because if we don't do it because we think we can't, then we can't. Right? It's, it's either way we, we, we handcuff ourselves. Either it's objective or subjective. Either way, it constitutes a limitation and it becomes real. Well, there is a commentary that says that it wasn't impossible to roll off the stone. It was just, it became the narrative that we had to wait till that the, all the shepherds had to be there and then they could roll off the stone. Jacob demonstrates that the folly of that, right? Overcoming folly. Jacob demonstrates the folly of that narrative. Yes, you could say it was a miracle, superhuman strength, etc. Or you could say he just didn't subscribe to the narrative that it took a whole village to roll off the thing. Sometimes we think, you know, this can't change. This can't be done unless so-and-so, uh, this, that, or the other. Try it. You might be surprised. So that's message Can number... I? Yes. Um, I don't know if you lived here then at the Atlanta Zoo. Um, before it was like it is now, there were like... Um, gates or fences in front of every animal. Well, then they took those away, but the animals still only walked this way and that way. Interesting. Even could have gone further. Right. Interesting, interesting. Now I believe, last time I was at the zoo was not that long ago, a few years ago. My kids actually, I think, recently asked about the zoo. Whatever. Maybe one day soon. And um, the, if I'm not mistaken... The enclosures are open, as you're saying. 
In other words, it's just kind of like, maybe there's like a moat. Is that the right word? A moat? I don't know if it's a moat. Mm-hmm. Like some sort of like uphill thing would yeah. make it difficult. But could they rush it theoretically? Perhaps. Yeah. I don't know. The, one, of the, one of the craziest experiences in my, life was go, in my life was going to South Africa and going to Kruger National Park. That's like the game. It's the big game reserve. And you realize like, oh, my God, like <laughs> you're just driving with the Jeep and there's no cages. There's no rules. They're like we're surrounded by this herd of massive wild elephant. And I'm thinking to myself, like at any moment, any of them could go boop, like with the little car like that and uh, flip the car. They could. Turned to my wife. We were just married. I'm like, Leah, is this safe? She's like, sure. <laughs> okay, great. Why not? Everyone else is there. But like, you realize, you know, who knows? You're just kind of trusting an animal. The point is that training goes a long way. When I say training, this kind of narrative, this idea, this belief in what we can and cannot do goes a long way to determining the reality that we live in. Okay, so that's a little bit about Jacob. So the message, so the first message of today is challenge your narrative. Don't be afraid to challenge your own narrative, what you can and cannot do. You tell yourself, I can't, I can't do, I don't do this, I can't do this. Challenge it. Don't take that so seriously, right? Don't take, or I have to do this, that or the other. Challenge it. At least ask the question. Are you sure, right? Especially because we know, according to Kabbalah, that everything is created from anew at every moment, which means that yesterday's, not yesterday's, a moment ago, narrative is not really the narrative, right? It's, it's a new creation, new reality, untethered on some level to the past. So that opens up the possibilities. By the way, if you're interested in Kabbalah and kind of these mind-bending ideas, join us for the Kabbalah of the Matrix starting next month in December. That's going to be a trip and a half. Okay, so that is that. Um, also, Jacob and Rachel, they meet. He loves her. He, well, he... Wants to marry her. Okay, so all right, we'll, we'll pick up that narrative now. I have some ideas to share, but let's, let's pick this up. I'm going to share my screen. And let's jump into reading number three. And Jacob, here we go. Let's talk about love. Genesis chapter 29. And Jacob loved Rachel. Yaakov loved Rachel. That's the younger. Remember, we were introduced to Leah as well. So Leah is the older sister. Rachel is the younger sister. So Jacob loves Rachel. I'm just going to say the, the Hebrew, Rachel. And he said, I will work for you. He's, Jacob said to her father, Laban, his own uncle, I will work for you seven years for Rachel, your younger daughter. Now, understand this. He says, Berachel, Bitcha Haktana. Rachel, your younger daughter. Why does he say Rachel, your younger daughter? Everyone knows who Rachel is. Rashi explains why were all these signs or points of language necessary? Since Jacob knew that Laban was a deceiver, he said to him the following, I will work for you for Rachel. Now, lest you say that I meant another Rachel from the street, in other words, like any other Rachel from any other family. No, 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 no. Rachel, your daughter. Now, lest you say, I will change your, her name to Leah, and I will name her Leah Rachel. In other words, I will name Leah, I was going to switch the name. So, he, so scripture states, your younger daughter. Nevertheless, it did not avail him, for he lay and deceived him. So he was trying to be very specific and say, Rachel, which Rachel? Your daughter, which daughter? Your younger daughter, so as to avoid all sorts of confusion and all potential for um, trickery and treachery. It didn't work. 
because where there's a will, there's a way. Laban still just decided to, on his own, unilaterally, spoiler alert, give him Leah to marry as opposed to Rachel. All right, it is what it is. I mean, you can't, uh, you know, a, a, a swindler is a swindler. What are you going to do? But at least he tried to do his best to be very specific. This becomes a great phrase in Judaism, that means when you need to spell everything out. It's like when you spell something out, either in a contract or in conversation, when you're being very specific with someone. So the phrase is, I'm telling it to you, with Rachel, your younger daughter. In other words, I'm giving you all the details so that you don't make a mistake. Just a fun fact, that's a phrase that's used commonly in Judaism. Okay, Which let's... is the English translation to that on the verse, please? Uh, about the, you know, the spelling it out. That's yeah, it. Or, Rachel, your younger daughter. That's it. Oh, but that translates to... That's it. Rachel, your oh, younger daughter. Sure, but it, in colloquialism, it means... Yes, exactly. In colloquialism, it means that I'm spelling everything out. Because why did he say Rachel, your younger daughter? Just say Rachel. I want to marry Rachel. No. Rachel, not any Rachel, your daughter. And not just any daughter, your younger daughter, in case you want to switch names. So he spelled it out. He specified it. It still didn't work because Laban still decided to deceive him. Uh, you know, a fraud's a fraud. But uh, he tried. So that, this, is, this is the phrase, Rachel B'tchaktana, although it's talking about Rachel, younger daughter. But it's used as a phrase to connote the idea of specificity. Okay, now let's get back inside. So Laban said to Jacob, sure, it's better that I give her to you than I should give her to another man. Stay with me. Which is a round, I always love that, a rousing endorsement. Sure, you're better than anyone else. Why not? Sure. You, you're not too bad. All right. Instead of saying, I'm so excited, she likes you also, it's perfect, blah, blah, blah. It's like, yeah, I guess you'll do better than any other guy. Stay with me. Stay with me means, um, stay with me. It means let's, let's do this. You'll work for seven years. It's a lot of, a lot of work. For a daughter's hand in marriage, seven years? Wow. Mm. Notoriously, dads are difficult. You know, dads are hard to win over by the potential son-in-law, by the suitor. But like seven years of work. That's a lot. It's a lot of work. Okay, verse 20. So Jacob worked for Rachel, for Rachel, seven years. But they appeared to him like a few days because of his love for her. They flew by. Seven years flew by. That's a lot of time to fly by. Seven years? Man, oh man, it's a long time. But he loved her. And he loved her. And so he, it's not only love, it's also respect. It's the idea that she needed this time for whatever reason, whether she needed it or her father needed it. This was what was needed. And that's it. It wasn't about him and about what he wanted right now. It's, uh, it's about what needs to happen. So he had patience. After the seven years, Jacob said to Lavan, to Laban, his, uh, his uncle, Give me my wife, for my days are completed that I may come to her. In other words, let us get married. Let us be together. That's the message. Let us be together. So Laban, sure, now it's time to throw, throw a wedding party. So Laban gathered all the people of the place. This is the first time, by the way, that we find a wedding party in the Torah. I mean, we, we read about Isaac marrying Rebekah, but that was a... He was out in the field, she was on a camel, she jumped off the camel, they got married, and they lived together happily ever after. Okay, but here we have the first example of a reception, right? Laban gathers all the people of the place. It's a party, it's a party. And he made a feast. There you go, a mishta, a feast. 
first wedding celebration in history. What did the invitations look like? What was the cake like? This I don't know. But he threw a party celebrating the wedding of allegedly Yaakov and Rachel, Jacob and Rachel. And it came to pass in the evening, so it was dark, that Laban took his daughter Leah, Leah, and he brought her to him, to Jacob, and he came to her. He was with her. And Laban gave Zilpah, his maidservant, to his daughter Leah as a maidservant. Zilpah was, that was the maidservant that would have gone to Rachel, Rachel, so it was a little bit um, misleading, not a little bit, it was misleading to, that he should believe that it was Rachel that he was marrying and not Leah. So the implication here is that somehow, and this, you know, this always requires a little bit of a stretch of the imagination, but on s- somehow Laban, the dad, was able to pass off his older daughter as his younger daughter. It was at night. Maybe there was a veil. I don't know. It's complicated. It said that they had signs. Between, maybe they looked similar. It's hard, it's hard to know because there was a physical distinction drawn in the end of yesterday's reading about Leah's eyes being tender and Rachel's not, whatever that means exactly, specifically. But, you know, somehow Leah passes for Rachel. It says that Leah had signs. They had, sorry, Rachel and, and, and Yaakov. Jacob and Rachel had signs, you know, like a password. And Rachel gave them to her sisters that her sister wouldn't be embarrassed. A whole thing. Anyway, came to pass in the morning. So now it's the morning. And behold, she was Leah. So now the sun comes up and Jacob looks over and says, oh, wait a second. Wait a second. I'm not supposed to, be, I'm not supposed to have been with you. What's going on? What about, uh, where's Rachel? So he said to Laban, he goes to his, immediately runs to his father-in-law, his uncle father-in-law, and he says, what is this that you have done to me? Did I not work with you for Rachel? Why have you deceived me? Yeah. Straight up asking a deceiver, why the deception? Why, why did you deceive me? Now, it's hard to miss the, let's call it the comeuppance, if you will. Right? Jacob, who is the beneficiary of a blessing that came by the product of dressing up as an older sibling. Are you with me? Jacob received a blessing by dressing up as his brother, is now deceived into marrying Leah, who dressed up like her sister. Are you with me on this? Yes? Deception? Dressing up? Pretending to be a sibling that you're not? Okay. So he asked his father, why have you deceived me? And Laban said the ultimate answer, a dig and a twist of the knife. Oh, it's not done in our place to give the younger one before the firstborn, unlike what you did to your brother. Right? You took, you were the younger one. You got the blessing before the firstborn. But we don't do that here. We don't do what you did by you over here. You remember when you went into your dad and pretend to be your older brother and you got the blessing and then you only left your brother second, uh, you left him second fiddle to you? We don't do that here. You wanted to marry the younger sister? No, no, no. You married the older sister, Leah. So he says, to, he continues. It's, again, I'm giving you a bit of commentary. The commentaries say that it was a coded message. I mean, simply saying, no, the custom of the places we give the older before the young. But the dig, the dig is you did this, you deceived, so now I'm dis- now you're getting deceived back so that the older will take prominence over the younger. 
Fine. But he offers some practical advice moving forward. So it's not a stalemate. Complete this, the wedding week of this one. In other words, finish your Sheva Brachas, your week of celebration following a wedding, which again is an, a, time, a, a time-tested Jewish tradition. This is something that's done till this day. That after the, the wedding, after the chasen, after the, the wedding, with the celebration and the feast and all that good stuff, you have seven days of partying. Seven days of celebration known as Sheva Brachot. So he says to his new son-in-law, to Jacob, Lava and Laban says to Jacob, to Yaakov, finish the week of celebration and we will give you this one too and then you'll marry the other sister, Rachel. For the work that you will render me for another seven years. He says, no problem. Oh, we gave you the old, you got the, you married the older daughter, Leah. You want to marry Rachel? You can do that also. Wait a week. You'll have another, I don't know if they threw a party, but you'll marry Rachel. But you'll need to be on the hook prepaid now. You'll be on the hook now or postpaid. It's going to be, you're going to have to now subsequently work another seven years. 14 years he works in total. Seven years he thought was for Rachel, ended up for Leah. And another seven years now for Rachel. And so Jacob did so. And he completed the week of this one. In other words, the week of celebration with Leah. And then Lavan, Laban, gave his daughter Rachel to him, to Jacob as a wife. There's a lot of he's and him's. You just have to know that it's not always the same person being pronounced. So Jacob completed the week of celebrating with his wife, Leah. And then he married, then Lavan gave the Rachel to him as a wife. So he married Rachel as well. And Lavan Laban gave his daughter Rachel his maidservant Billa for a maidservant. So now we have two wives, sisters, and two maidservants, Leah and Zilpah, and Rachel, Rachel, and Bilha. Make sense so far? Yes? By the way, spoiler alert, Jacob will have children from all four women his two wives, and their two maidservants. Channeling what Abraham did with his maidservant Hagar, Jacob will have children, two from each, from two children, two sons from each of the two maidservants, Zilpah and Bilhah, or Bilhah and Zilpah. Okay, let me check in so far in the narrative. Okay, so far it's been a bit, I gave an insight, but it's been mainly narrative-driven. Questions, comments thus far. Now, how did Laban know that he had uh, taken the firstborn blessing? I'm assuming a family WhatsApp chat. No, I'm kidding. Um, good question. According to the commenters that say that he was, you know, he was like digging into him. So how did he know? My assumption is that the news traveled, that uh, Jacob's frustration, sorry, Esau's anger traveled. The news of, you know, Jacob probably explained why he was there. You know, he's running away from his brother. Why are you running away from your brother? It probably came up at some point in conversation. So it seems like either the news in the family traveled or maybe Jacob himself explained his background story a little bit about how he got there. His brother wants to kill him because he took the blessings by dressing up like him. So either of these ways um, is how I'm, I'm picturing that... Uh, that, that Lava knows. 
Although there might be a commentary on it that, that gives us a little bit more um, solid <laughs> insight. But those, those are my ways that I've, I've kind of thought about the story. Either way, um, Lavan is, uh, we would call this in Yiddish, stechen him. Stech is like, is like scratching him, like uh, whatever. It's a stech. It's a, it's a dig into him. All right, let's jump back. Any other questions, comments? Questions, comments? Okay. Let's jump back into the narrative. So here we go. Um, so they got married, uh, Jacob and Rachel, Jacob and Rachel, along with Bilhah the maid. The maid servant was along was also part of that. Uh, um, not part of the wedding, but he got married to her, and that was her her um, maid servant. Okay, now the Torah continues, and he also and he came also to Rachel to Rachel, and he also loved Rachel more than Leah. Whoa, that's a pretty strong statement right there. There you go. He loved Rachel more than Leah. What does that mean? I mean, simply, it means that's who he always loved. That's who he fell in love with. That's who he wanted to marry. He got tricked into marrying Leah. He wanted to marry Rachel, Rachel, so that he loved her more. Um, There are deeper commentaries on this, understanding what Rachel is, what Leah is spiritually. And we had this in Secrets of the Bible that we did, again, just about a year ago. Rachel represents spiritual service. Leah represents more being out there in the world. So Jacob, Yaakov, who's more by nature, the introverted spiritualist, loves Rachel more than Leah. In other words, not just loves her appearance, personality, like like just, you know, the movies that she likes, they get along better, but it's, they're aligned spiritually. There's a closer spiritual connection there. Okay, whatever you subscribe to, either way, it does say that he loved her more, which, you know, is, is an interesting phrase. Now, and then, of course, he was on the hook to work. So, and he worked with him, with his father-in-law, yet another seven years, totaling 14. Now, while this is all going on, here's what happens as far as offspring. So, God, the Lord saw that Leah was hated. Now, hated is a strong term. Does it mean that she was hated or that she was not the preferred wife? I would go the latter, but nonetheless, it says in the Hebrew, ki snua leah. Snua means hated or disliked. Again, God forbid to say that Jacob hated his wife. I mean, but, you know, not the first fiddle, let's say. The first violin. So he opened her womb, but Rachel was barren. So the Torah says... So he blessed Leah, and Rachel was barren. Once again, we see the matriarchs, at least some of the matriarchs, struggling with children. And Leah conceived and bore a son. And she named him Reuben. In the Hebrew, it's Reuven. Reuven. What's Reuven? Reu means see, and Ben means a son. So she explains the name. Why did she name the the, major, the mothers named the children? As you see, she named him Ruvain, for she said, "Because the Lord has seen my affliction, for now my husband will love me." So she says, "Ruvain, God has seen Ru, God has seen that I am not the preferred spouse. So He's given me. God has given me a bane, a son." In order that my husband should love me, because we have now a child together. So certainly he'll love me. 
and she conceived again. Of course, just to clarify, the, the timeline is being compressed. We're not getting all the details of their daily life together and the dynamics of the, the, the two wives and the four women in total. We're not getting all those details. We're just getting the information that we need. So she conceived again, did Leah, and bore a son, a second son. And she said, since the Lord has heard that I am hated, he gave me this one too. And so she named him Shimon, Shimon, Related to the word Shema, Shimon, hearing. So God has seen that I was afflicted and gave me a son, Reuven. God has heard that I'm hated. He gave me this one too, a second son, Shimon. All right, that's two. Number three, and she conceived again and bore a son. And she said, now this time my husband will be attached to me. For I have borne him three sons. Three, that's already something. Substantial. One, two, now three sons. Oh. By the way, there was a prophecy that was known that Jacob would have 12 sons. Well, 12 divided by four. What's 12 divided by four? There were four wives here. Four, well, two wives, two other maidservants. So four women total, four potential mothers. So when Leah has three sons, she says, okay, that's it. I got my full, now we're fully connected. In other words, I, I've given birth to the three sons that I've been destined to give birth to. So now my husband will certainly be attached to me. You see, there's a lot of, I mean, I don't know what else to call it. Fear, trauma, I don't know. A lot of energy around this idea of being loved and her husband being connected with her. There's a lot of energy revolving around this. Anyway, she says, now my husband will be attached to me. For I have borne him three sons. Therefore... He named him, God named him, it sounds like, Levi. Akin Karashmo Levi. Levi means attach. Yilaveh. Yishila. Yilaveh means attached. So Levi is attachment. Of course, the Levites were attached to God. They were the spiritualists, whatever. But in this context, the original context, why attach? Because now my husband, now that I have three sons, my husband will be mine. She conceived again. Number four time and bore a son, a fourth son. That's surprising. Twelve sons, four, four women, three apiece. She has now four. So she said, this time I will thank the Lord. Now I can thank the Lord. In other words, now that I've gotten more than expectation, now I can really be grateful. Wow, I'm not just getting, I'm not just having the number of sons that I was supposed to have. I have one more than I was supposed to have. Whew, now I'm grateful. Therefore, she named him Judah, Yehuda. Yehuda means thankfulness and gratitude. And then she stopped bearing. She could no longer get pregnant. She had four sons, and that's it. Well, she has more later, but for right now, at least, that's it. So interesting. Ruvain, God has seen my affliction. Shimon, God has heard that I am hated. Levi, my husband, is now attached to me. Yehuda, Judah, wow. Thank you, Hashem. I was not expecting this. What's interesting is that we see here something about gratitude. That when is gratitude, when, when, is, when does gratitude emerge and what is gratitude born of? Gratitude is born of more than expectation. What, what we expect does not evoke gratitude. So here's the truth in life. If you want to be thrilled in life, if you want to be wowed by life, if you want to walk through life with just profound gratitude and a smile on your face, drop the expectations. 
right? Expectations are the, are the happiness killers, the, the joy kills of life. If I expect, then I'm demanding always. No, no, when's it happening? And when it happens, all right, it's about time. So that, 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 that doesn't lead to joy. In this case, she has an expectation of three sons. She has four. Wow. Now she's thanking God. It's interesting. The first few times, she doesn't thank God. She expresses how you know, happy she is that now her husband will be this, that, or the other with her. But like thanking God, like thank you, Hashem, that happens with the fourth because that's beyond expectations. So a little life hack, lower expectations. Don't take life for granted. The fact that we're alive today, don't take it for granted. Doesn't have to be. Let's be wowed. Let's be overjoyed. Let's have gratitude and, and, and happiness fill our hearts and overflow because of the, the most basic of blessings. Anyway, just a, a bit of a life hack. Okay, back to our text. Now, after four sons being born to her sister, now Rachel is trying to get in on the action. Here we go. And Rachel saw that she had not borne any children to Jacob. Her sister has four and she has zero. And Rachel envied her sister. And she said to Jacob, she says to Yaakov, give me children and if not, I am dead. Powerful. Give me children, if not, I am dead. Jacob became angry with Rachel and he said, this is the only time we find that he becomes angry with her, and he said, am I instead of God who has withheld from you the fruit of the womb? In other words, you're, 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 you're shouting at me? Give me children, if not, I am dead. Like it's my fault. Am I God? So what we see here is something that I think is powerful. And that is how deep-seated this conversation was. And it was a, it's, it's a bit complicated. It's a bit complicated. She really wants to have a child. She, her sister is having children, you know, every, you know, who knows, every, every, I think they were born in very close proximity to each other, according to the timeline that we have. Because Shimon and Levi were both 13 at the same time. That means they were born even possibly within the span of one year. In other words, 11, 10, 11, 12 months separating them. So she's having all these boys. Her sister is. And she doesn't have any kids. It's painful. And so she vents to her husband. Her husband is also pained by this. And he vents back. You know, Torah is being very brutally honest about the conversation. And, you know, she's expressing her yearning, her, her desire to have a child, and he's expressing his frustration. I can't do anything. This is God. It's in God's hands. Okay. Well, she decides at then and there to take mad, matters into her own hands. And here's what happens. So she said to him, she said to Jacob, here is my maidservant Bilhah. Remember that? Remember she, when she got married, she took her maidservant Bilhah? So she says to him, to her husband, look, here's my maidservant Bilhah. Not necessarily was she right there. Maybe, maybe she was. Come to her. In other words, be with her. And she will bear children on my knees. That means she will be a surrogate mother. So that I too will be built up from her. In other words, she'll, give, she'll bear children, but the children will be like my children and that will continue my legacy through her. In other words, through those, through those children or that child, 
that will be my legacy. This, so this is a proposal of, again, surrogacy, a surrogate mom. So she gave him, she gave her husband, her maidservant, Billa, for a wife. And Jacob came to her. That means uh, they were intimate. And Bilhah conceived. So now not only is Leah having children, Bilhah is now also getting pregnant. And she bore Jacob a son. And Rachel said, now Rachel is going to name the child. Not Bilhah. Rachel said, God has judged me. And he has also hearkened to my voice and given me a son. God has judged me. In other words, he has, I guess, deliberated on some level and decided, yes, I'm going to listen to her and give her a son. So the idea of judgment, danani, that means God is judging me or has judged me. So therefore she named his son, the son, she named him Dun. Dun means judge. Danani, judge me. So she names him Dun, judgment. And Bilha. Rachel's maidservant, conceived again, number two, and bore Jacob a second son. And Rachel, once again, Rachel's going to do the naming because these children are attributed to her, even though born by the, born to the maidservant, but attributed to Rachel. So Rachel said, with divine bonds, I have been joined to my sister. I've also prevailed. In other words, God has facilitated that for some reason we should both, we, we're both sharing the same husband. But now I have uh, prevailed. In other words, now I'm also having children, or at least children that are attributed to my children, to me. So she named him Naphtali. Naphtali means bonds. Naphtali, bonds. See, Naphtule, Naphtule. Elikim Niftalti. With bonds I've been joined. Bonds and joining. Naphtali means a bond. So she's saying... Joined to my sister, like her, I'm also having children in my own ways, to the surrogacy. Okay. Now, let's flip, the, let's flip the narrative back to Leah. When Leah saw that she had stopped bearing children, because she had four and that was it, so she also got inspired by her sister, so now she took her maidservant, Zilpah, Leah did, and gave her to Jacob for a wife. So, again, just to, just to give the quick narrative here. Leah has four sons. Rachel has none. So Rachel says, Bilha, maidservant. Maidservant has two sons. So Leah says, all right, if I can't get pregnant now, maidservant, my maidservant, Zilpah. So here we go. And, and Zilpah is Leah, Leah's maidservant, bore Jacob a son. Well, I'm assuming they were together and she got pregnant, but we're cutting to the chase. So now Leah's maidservant is getting in on the childbearing action or the tribe-bearing action and gives birth to a son. And Leah said because she's going to name the maidservant's child, Leah said, luck has come. So she named him God. Luck. Ba God. Luck. Good fortune. Mazel tov. I got another child through my surrogate, through, through Zilpah. I have now son number five, so to speak. And Zilpah, Leah's maidservant, bore Jacob a second son. So each of the maidservants now has two sons. What's this one's name? Leah said, because of my good fortune... For women have declared me fortunate. So she named him Usher, which means fortunate or good fortune. Right? Ki ishruni banos. Oh, but Ashri ki ishruni banos Usher. So good fortune. Women have declared my fortune. 
Oh, sorry, me fort fortunate. Sorry, because of my good fortune for women, I have to declare me fortunate. So she named the usher, which means fortunate or fortune. Either way, good luck. So now we have how many sons? We have four plus two plus two. Just if we're clear here on the timeline, right? So four to Leah, two to Rachel's maidservant, and two to Leah's maidservant. We have Ruvain, Shimon, Levi, Yehuda, born to Leah. Um, Don Naphtali, born to Bilha, Rachel's maidservant. And God and Usher, born to Leah's maidservant. I'm sorry. It's not 10. It's 8. It's 8 children so far. My math was off, and I'm sorry. I apologize about that. Eight, 8 sons. Not 10. 8 sons. 4 to Leah. 2 to Bilhah. 2 to Zilpa. That's 4 plus 2 plus 2. 4 plus 4 is 8. 8. Done. That's reading number three. By the way, each of these sons, the names are rich in, in analysis and meaning. Kabbalah speaks about it. The order of the names of the, of the sons represents order in our divine service. First there's Reuven and then Shimon. First we see and then we hear and all of the connotations. And then Levi means attachment. And then Yehuda is thankfulness and gratitude. A whole process of spiritual service based on the names and the order of the births over here. But not for, not for right now because I want to get through the narrative with reading number four. Let's continue the narrative. Today is going to be primarily narrative driven. Maybe we'll get more insights on tomorrow, Wednesday. Let's continue. So now eight sons are born. Reuben is the oldest. So Reuven, Reuben went in the days of the wheat harvest. So it was the time of the wheat harvest and he's going out. He's going out into the field. And he found Dudaim. Dudaim in the field. Now what is a what is a what is what are these Dudaim? According to many translations, they have them as mandrakes. Mandrakes. Interesting. Not mandarins, those are oranges. Mandrakes. Some sort of thing that grows. Mandrakes or whatever it is. He found the Hebrews called Dudaim. He found them in the field. And he brought them to Leah's mother. Now these were very special botanicals. These were considered to be uh, good for fertility and good for other things related to intimacy. So this was considered to be like a... Now, did Reuben know what it was? You know, he's, he's a kid. Does he know exactly what he's picking? Maybe, you know, kids pick flowers for their mom. That's what happens. You know, my kids, you know, they're walking and, and whatever. They'll like, you know, they see something. They bring it home to Ma or to me, you know, whatever it is. So he picked this, these dudaim. Did he know exactly what they are? I don't know. But he brings them to his mother. And Rachel is there. The sister. So Rachel said to Leah, her sister, now give me some of your sons dudaim. Because again, they were good for fertility and other things related to intimacy. So this is good. I, I, so your son, right, brought you these. Can I have some? So listen to this. Listen to this. Listen to this. This gets a little bit, uh, gets a little bit testy. This is the one time we find a bit of a, um, what we would call tension between the sisters. 
And she said to her, Leah said to Rachel, to Rachel, is it a small matter that you've taken my husband? And that you wish also to take my son's Dudaim? In other words, first you took my husband. Again, why is Leah saying this? Because at the end of the day, on that wedding night, she married Yaakov. And seven days later, Rachel married Yaakov. So yes, he wanted to marry Rachel from the beginning, etc. We know the story. But at the end of the day, Leah was married to him first. So she says to her sister, and you can probably imagine like years of pent-up frustration coming out. She says, you took my husband, and now you want to take my son's dudaim? You want to take these plants, also these botanicals? A little bit, little bit tense here, my friends. It's a little bit tense. Little bit tense. So Rachel said, Rachel said to her sister, okay, fine. Therefore, let's make a deal. He shall sleep with you tonight as payment for your son's dudaim. Now, what the rotation was, I am not privy to. How Jacob figured out which of his wives he was going to spend time with you know, which evenings, etc., how that worked, I don't know. But what it's, what's clear is that at that, that night, he was going to go to the tent, if you will, of Rachel, Rachel's tent. He was going to be with Rachel. Rachel says to her sister, I want your sons do the im. And I know you're not happy with me, whatever, but I'll, let's do a trade. Let's do an old-fashioned barter. I'll, I'll give my, my night tonight to you, let Yaakov be with you tonight, and you give me the Dudaim. <laughs> is, is, this, uh, is this a healthy arrangement? I don't know. I mean, it's, it's a complicated story. It's a complicated story. There's layers of understanding on it. But the basic, the basic meaning is what I'm sharing with you right now. Rachel is giving up her night with her husband for these botanicals that her sister got from her, from, from her son. Okay? That's it. Verse 16. When Jacob came from the field in the evening, so now Jacob comes home from a long day of work. So, that, so Leah came forth toward him and she said, Leah, you shall come to me. You shall come to me. Because I have hired you with my sons do da'im. In other words, I made a trade. I made a trade. I gave my son Ruven's do da'im, that botanical plant stuff, to Rachel, so you're coming home with me tonight. And he slept with her on that night. Wasn't supposed to be initially, but the trade happened and the swap happened. So now Yaakov is with Leah. And God hearkened to Leah. And she conceived and bore Jacob a fifth son. Because of that switch, because of that barter, because of that deal that Leah gave the Dudaim to Rachel, Rachel gave Leah the night with Jacob, she gets pregnant. And she has a fifth son. And Leah said, in naming the child, God has given me my reward, for I have given my maidservant to my husband. What's the reward? That I allowed Zilpah to be with my husband, so now I'm getting rewarded for that, etc. Schari, reward. So she named him Yisachar. Sachar means reward, so because of the reward, that's why I have this child, and that's why she names him basically reward. And Leah conceived again, 
Number six, and she bore Jacob a sixth son, and, and Leah said, once again, in naming the child, God has given me a good portion. A good portion meaning I, I'm going to have as many as all other three put together. Remember, 12 sons, and she has six. She has at least 50% now of the sons. I hope that math makes sense. 12 sons, and she just gave birth to number six herself, and that means she has a good portion. She has 50%. The other three will have... What's 50 divided by 3? 16.66667%. Either way, she has 50% of the children. So she said, this time, my husband will live with me. Right? If I have half this children, you would think that I'm going to be his primary wife. For I born him six sons. So she named him Zvulun. Zvulun means a good portion or living with me. Both are actually Zeved, Zvdani, Zvleni. Right, good portion will live with me either way. Zvulun represents all of that. So she named him Zvulun, and afterwards she bore a daughter. She got pregnant the seventh time. And it says that she prayed that it wouldn't be a son, because if it's a son, then that means that there's seven sons born to her, two to each of the maidservants, that's 11, and her sister Rachel will only have one son left of the 12. And that means her sister, Rachel, will have less than the maidservants. The maidservants are going to have two sons and she'll only have one. So she, had, out of compassion for her sister, she prayed that the child be a daughter. And indeed, it was a daughter. And she named her Dina. By the way, the Talmud says, you can pray for the gender of a child up until 40 days. Very important. Up until 40 days. After 40 days, it's considered to be a... a, a um, an unnecessary prayer, a, a superfluous prayer, because after 40 days, the gender is already set. Even according to science, gender differentiates at about six weeks of pregnancy, which is about 42 days. So up until that point, you can pray. After that point, it's, a, it's, a, uh, it's, it's, a, it's an unnecessary prayer. Let's continue back inside. Bottom line is she prays for a daughter. She names her Dina. And God remembered Rachel, finally. Rachel, the initially intended wife, God finally remembers her. God hearkened to her prayers. I'm adding prayers, but hearkened to her means listen to her prayers. And he opened her womb. And she conceived. This is Rachel. Rachel, finally, after all these years and watching everyone else get pregnant, she finally conceives, gets pregnant, and bore a son. And she said, God has taken away my reproach. That was finally my, um, the mark against me is taken away. So she named him Joseph. This is Yosef, Joseph, saying, May the Lord grant me yet another son. Yosef, Hashem li ben Acher, means may Hashem grant me another son. Another is Yosef. The idea is that she wanted two. So even she named the first one another one. It's very interesting naming uh, um, uh, format came to pass when Rachel had born Joseph that Jacob said to Lava, okay, so now at this point, 11 of 12 are born, but finally he has his son with his beloved Rachel, the, the woman he wanted to marry from the beginning. That triggers in him the desire to go home, to leave. He feels like even though his family is not fully complete, he doesn't have 12 sons, he has 12 children, but not 12 sons, nonetheless, it's time to go. Joseph is born to Rachel. This was like the, the, the child he was waiting for with Rachel. Now he says to Lavan, time to go. 
Let me go. I'm going to go back home to my place and to my land. I'm going to go back home to Israel. Give me my wives and my children for whom I worked for you 14 years, and I will go. For you know my work which I have worked for you. In other words, you know that I'm a hard worker. You know that I, you know, been honest and, and, and de- dedicated. So le- let me go. Give me permission to leave. And Lavan said to him, no, 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 not so fast, not so fast. Lavan, the ultimate negotiator and swindler, says, if only I have now found favor in your eyes, I have divined, and the Lord has blessed me for your sake. Like, no, 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 no. I, I, I ask you, please, honor my request. I know that God has made me successful. All my business endeavors are successful because you are my shepherd. So I want you to stay, and they negotiate the terms of the stay, the terms of the agreement moving forward in tomorrow's uh, the sections that we're going to read tomorrow. Okay, that's the narrative. Didn't get to a lot of commentary. I'll throw in some more commentary tomorrow. I threw in a commentary as we went along, but there's a lot of deeper stuff. We'll throw some in tomorrow. But let me check in on the narrative. Makes sense? Yes? Story makes sense? Yeah, okay. Okay, good. Donna, Sarah, Ray, Faye, all good? Okay, amazing. Tomorrow we pick it up with the um, negotiation between Yaakov and Lavan, his uncle turned father-in-law, because he wants to go home. Yaakov is ready to go back home. Lavan wants him to stay because Yaakov has made everything prosper. So now... The negotiations begin, things get complicated. When you're dealing with a dishonest person, things can quickly turn complicated, which is what happens in tomorrow's uh, discussion. Okay. Rabbi, yes. you, know you, you know, where we, we talk about the prevalent themes, like a very prevalent theme in the Torah is sibling discord or mm. rivalry. Huge. From the beginning, Cain and Abel, Right, if Cain and Abel, you have Ishmael and and uh, and Isaac and Esau and Esau and um, Jacob. How am I forgetting Jacob's name? And then the sisters, Rachel and Leah, right, Rachel and Leah. And then you have Joseph and his brothers. It's complicated. The first siblings, and I mention this always, the first siblings that get it right are Moses and Aaron. They finally can work together. Moses, right? Remember Moses doesn't want to go on the mission that God wants him. And God says, no, I'll send Aaron with you. And he's like, okay. It's the first time siblings are getting along in the Torah. It's crazy. I know. It's like, it's wild. The dynamic, the power dynamic between older and younger is also a major theme. Like the younger one surpassing the older one and the older one feeling, you know, all. But it's, I think it's like, it reflects like a real life. Talk about plots, right? Like story plots, storylines. This is like classic Classic plot. It's not easy being the older, the older sibling. Right? It's, not easy, it's not easy being the younger sibling. There's a lot of power dynamics there that have to be sorted out. And it takes a while. It takes a while for this, uh, for this to get worked out. But we see some harsh words in this week's Torah portion. And in today, the, the reading that we read today, from Jacob to Rachel. Rachel to Jacob, and for, between Rachel and Jacob. Right? Give me a child, if not, it's like I'm dead. Am I instead of God that I can just decide to give you children? Like that dialogue. And between the sisters. You've taken my husband. Now you want to take my, my mandrakes also, my dudaim? 
So there's a lot of high stakes, high stakes, high pressure, uh, tense, tense conversation. Stuff to think about. Definitely stuff to think about. And definitely just a classic storyline. So, okay, good. Today was mainly narrative. Donna, Ray, Faye, Sarah, we're good? All right, join me tonight. If you're doing the online course, the Tuesday Night Online, tonight we have Outsmarting Antisemitism, lesson number three, all about anti-Israel hate, anti-Israel antisemitism, BDS, and other movements that seek to target Israel. Is there any legitimate criticism of Israel? Is it all anti-Semitic? How do we draw the line between the two? Tonight, we're going to take a deep dive into all things Israel-related and hopefully come away with some powerful insights into that. Tomorrow, DPP. Tomorrow night, Torah Studies. Saturday night, November 20th, Jewelry Workshop. Get in on this. Get in on the Jewelry Workshop. We have, I think, how many? I think we're halfway through the kits already. So. Yeah, so we're, we're moving through these kits. Get in while the getting's good for yourself, yeah. for a friend, for a loved one. You can yeah. have it sent. We can send it anywhere in the U.S. I'm sure internationally also. Why not? And it's, it, will be, it will be live with, a, with food and music as well as online with music. No food online unless you bring your own. And uh, join us. We're shipping out. Yeah, I want to show you something. I, yeah. I just today. This is, yeah, I just got it this morning. So along with the... Um, Along with the dancing llama. Yeah. Yeah. I'm fi- I, I just got this this morning. I've been looking at it for a couple of weeks, and I finally said that I have to have it. Nice. What do we got? Yeah. Ooh. It's actually it's a menorah in the window candle. Oh wow! Yeah. Look at that. Yeah. This actually. Look at see, that. It's beautiful. Right. There's a menorah, and then I put a candle in here. Right, Amazing. So Look at you. Look at that. Yeah. It's perfect. Right. <laughs> Amazing. 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 That's so nice. Okay, great. All right. Well, we're, I'm getting excited. Um, yes. Donna, you're bringing the kits on Thursday. Yes. And then we're going to start shipping them out. So that's the plan. And they come in the nice theme bags that I showed you. Yes. Always, yeah. always beautiful in the packaging. Okay, yeah. great. I'm excited. Also, I just want, I don't yeah. know if you saw it. I sent you a text this morning. I did not see it. I uh, have an opportunity. I promoted the um, Rebecca's tent for like oh. the possibility of a donation drive of supplies for the holidays. So super cool. Yeah, I can I can help if you need a contact or any you know I can help with that making yeah. some connections. Okay, amazing. Um, good. That's a reference to the 21st, where we're going to be doing a cooking and baking drive. Well, not We're going to be making food for the, the residents of Rebecca's Tent, which is a local women's shelter. So we're going to be making food on the 21st um, at 1230 I think that's a PM. very nice yeah, choice of the, the not, yeah. And I look, I went to their website. I like. Oh, they're amazing. Mission. Oh, it's amazing. It's really beautiful. Yeah. Really, really beautiful organization. So very excited to be partnering with them on this. And Cabal the Matrix is coming up. I have some very exciting surprises to share soon. Not right now, but check your emails. Keep on refreshing every five minutes. I'm kidding. Once in a while. I actually do. I well, actually do. Well, keep, not every five minutes. Yeah. All right. Well, keep checking because stuff is about to come out. All right. We'll yeah. see you guys. See you a little bit later. If we see you later. If not, we'll see you tomorrow. All right. Take care, everybody. Bye, all.